Welcome to Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports and Total Beverage in Thornton and Westminster. I'm your host, JJ Jerez, with me, Arif Dean, and uh, we're here one game away from a Stanley Cup championship, Arif, the the 3-2 overtime victory here in Tampa Bay. Um, Time to break it down. Obviously, the the most exciting part about it. Uh, I guess before we move on, I must mention we also, to end the podcast, have a snippet uh, with Peter Ball and Ken Weeb of Sportsnet.ca, Peter Ball of the Athletic, of course, that you did for us post game. So we'll get to that at the end of the podcast, Arif. But before we get to that, let's talk Nazem Kadri goal, right? That's the most yeah. important thing right now. That goal was unreal. Um, let's start with the goal itself, and then we'll get into John Cooper's comments after. Uh, Nazem Kadri, look, coming into this game. Uh, I was talking to Peter Ball after morning skate, and I even told him I told you so afterward, and he's going to mention that in the clip that we're going to play here at the end of the podcast, that uh, this morning Peter was saying, how effective is Kadri really going to be? He can't really shoot the puck, which we all saw that. You were yeah. saying it. I was saying it. Morning skate, like his shots look like mine, and I'm trying. <laughs> I'm not saying that as a joke. I'm saying that I genuinely don't know how to shoot a puck. I don't know the difference between a snapshot and a wrist shot. I don't know really how to shoot it. Um, and, uh, it looked like mine, like the puck was always like, it was never a nice, sa- like even his passes, they weren't nice saucer passes. They were like flubbed and like just kind of fumbling their way to the player. He was trying to pass it to. He just, he's not able to get a good grasp of his stick, uh, with that broken thumb. I mean, he had two shots on goal tonight, <laughs> one of which the game winner, the other one, he was kind of in a situation where he had to shoot it. He had no one to pass to. So what he kind of did is what he's been able to do at practice is basically pass it as hard as he can. He, like, can. shoveled it to the net. Right. It was and different. It, it, I remember what that shot It, it didn't leave the ice. It was a good save from Vasilevsky, but he was able to get some power behind it because he didn't try to lift it. He didn't try to, you know, go bar down. So apparently passing was still in his realm of capability. Yeah, and, and when I was talking to Peter Ball about it this morning, after morning skate, it was kind of like, well, what what can he do? Like, how can, how can Kadri be effective? And... Peter, his prediction, which is where I told him you're 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 wrong, is uh, his prediction was that Nazem Kadri was going to play around seven to ten minutes in a third line role, maybe a fourth line role, and be a depth piece that just you know takes the part that Nicholas Kubel played, but with no disrespect to Kubel, play it as Nazem Kadri. So you're not going to be the big shooter, top-line winger. We're going to glorify you as a better version of Abe Kubel. And I said, absolutely not. And I said, there's no way he only plays 7, 8, 9, 10 minutes. He's going to play more than 15. The Avalanche are going to use him because this is the NHL. It's the Stanley Cup final. And I said, look, I'm not here to glorify playing injured and do all these things. And I'm not here to give my opinion on the no guts, no glory. I'm just here to say this is how hockey players are. I'm not saying it's right. I'm saying it's what he's going to do. And then lo and behold, I was waiting for the pregame warm-up because that was going to determine the role he plays. And Jared freaking Bednar blunt- blended up the lines in a way that I did not think was going to happen. I was thinking, hey, maybe Kadri between Rantanen and someone else. Or maybe Kadri on the wing with Comfort at center and Rantanen or something like that. But lo and behold, he switches it up completely, puts McKinnon back with Lekin and Landeskog, which is the spot that Comfort was playing. And then puts, sorry, puts McKinnon back with Rantanen and Lekkinen, which is a spot that he previously had that Comfort was not playing. And then puts Kadri back between Val Nichushkin and Gabe Landeskog, the two guys that have been the top line wingers for this entire series. And Kadri's coming back from a broken thumb injury. Right into the fire, right into a top six role, right into playing more than 18 minutes tonight in game four. Yeah, and I think he had every excuse to not come out and perform, right? I mean, obviously the injuries, and um, we knew he wasn't going to be wanting to shoot too much, and that's exactly, you know, I looked at the over-under because I thought that was an easy bet. Two and a half was his over-under on shots. He got two tonight. So you you won and he won. Right, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, he only shot when he had to, and he shot, you know, perhaps the most important one of the night. But, um, you know, we also saw... We didn't get to hear it because we were at the game not watching it on TV, but I saw people tweeting that during the first intermission interview, he talked about how the ice was garbage. Literally, that was a quote that he talked about. So I think the, the, you know he had every excuse. The Avalanche had a ton of excuses for having a bad period, and it looked bad in the start, right? I mean, I think everybody can kind of agree that the Avalanche just kind of had a, a rough first period there. They did. Uh, it, it wasn't just on Kadri. It was on everybody, but... Um 
there was one guy that had a good first period, and we'll talk a lot about him later. And obviously, it's it's number thirty five. It's Darcy Kemper. Um, but it was it was a strange period. It was kind of a culmination of what we saw in Game Three, where like the Avalanche controlled the play. It looked like they had a lot of opportunities to generate chances, but they couldn't they couldn't get a shot off. You like they were stuck at one shot for so long, and then it went up to two, and then the the, the scorekeeper took one away, and it was back to one. <laughs> yeah. Like they couldn't do anything. To the point where I think I even mentioned to you, like, they're just going to have to draw a penalty and use their power play to get back into this game because that's the only thing that's been freaking working. Mm -hmm. And in the second period, I mean, it it didn't happen in the first period, but that's exactly how they got their first goal. So um, they were able to generate that momentum and get themselves back into the game and fought their way there. But interesting thought about the ice, too, right? I, I mean, we've seen it. In the last two games, players just falling everywhere from both teams. And, of course, it's not an excuse because both teams have to play on the same ice. It's just wild to me. The only point I wanted to make about it is every time you and I walk into that building, Emily Arena, right, we go into the back door where the media entrance is. And as we do, we walk past the giant machines that are feeding cold air, mm. feeding the ice to try to keep it as frozen as possible. So apparently they need to double up because they, they're doing what – is typically required to keep the ice in good condition. So I guess it's nuts to me that it's uh, in such bad condition, especially since we've seen in years past they can put ice anywhere if they want to, outdoors especially. But indoors in June in Florida is apparently really hard. Well, they did it a year ago. The Stanley Cup final was played around this time last year too because of obviously the COVID uh, extension. And and Tampa Bay was hosting Montreal. Tampa Bay was (coughs) – excuse me – Tampa Bay was playing the Islanders on June 15th. It's June 23rd now. So they were still in the third round playing games at Emily Arena on June 15th, let alone the Stanley Cup final against Montreal Canadiens. So they've done it before. I just don't know. Maybe it's a lot hotter this time around. I mean, it's been 95, 100 degrees for all my Colorado listeners. You guys all know it's been hot as hell. I know. I think apparently the last couple of days while we've been here in Tampa, JJ, and it's been 95 and humid, it's been like 75 in Denver. So we missed out on the nicer days, but it was 90, 95 close to 100 degrees between game one and game two and, and media day and all that yeah absolutely and again it's a it's not that big of a deal in my eyes but obviously yeah. if Kadri finds it worth noting and i just wanted to point out those giant machines that we've been seeing yeah um but let's get into john cooper's comments i thought that was a really strange press conference maybe one of the weirdest i've ever very covered. much um he walked in and you could tell just from body language i love reading people's body language by yeah. the way I, I think there's so much to uh to learn about what people are actually trying to say through that and you could just see that he was distraught there was, he was bothered almost to the point where he feels like that was the game breaker right it looked like a look on his face like what am i supposed to do now yeah i i felt that too and um you know we're not gonna clip john cooper's uh video into this or, or, or audio into this, quite frankly, to, to, to put it lightly, uh, because it's 3.36 a.m. Eastern time right now, 1.36 Mountain Time. Uh, we were at Emily Arena long enough to get kicked out. Uh, the last guys there were myself, Peter Baugh, Ken Weeb, and uh, Chris Johnston, and, and uh, one more other reporter who I forget. And uh, we were there long enough to get kicked out of the thing, and, and uh, we're exhausted right now. You're exhausted, I'm exhausted. So no time to make that edit. But John Cooper comes up to the podium, and I tweeted it. And uh, I love hearing John Cooper speak so much that I said, screw tweeting quotes, screw recording audio. I'm going to record a video. Well, and you also, again, you got that vibe that, okay, whatever he's about to say is going to be video worthy. So he starts, somebody asks a question and it was about the game winner, whatever it was. And, and right away he started to talk and he started his preamble about how this is the best league. This is the greatest league, whatever. And when he was making those compliments, if you go watch my Twitter video, which it's got like 20,000 views on it now, so a lot of you have probably already seen it and uh, know what I'm talking about. But sometime, I don't know what second market is exactly, but sometime early on when he starts to do that thing where he's talking about how wonderful this league is and how great it is and blah, 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 where you can tell you're waiting for the but, this is how they fucked up. While he's doing that and you know where he was going to go with it, you can even hear me go, oh, boy, because I whispered, oh, boy, to the reporter next to me because I knew something was coming. And he goes through this entire thing. He builds it to this point where he can say, but and then he says, but and then he just couldn't get his point out. He was very emotional, very kind of wearing his heart on his sleeve and then says, I'll talk to you guys tomorrow. I'll be made available tomorrow and I'll talk to you guys then. 
and then he said, when you see the game-winning goal, you will understand what I'm talking about. You're gonna. The exact words were, you're going to see what I mean when you see the winning goal. My heart breaks for the players because we probably should still be playing. So here's my thoughts on, on, on that exactly is for starters, um, I don't, John Cooper's not a whiner. John Cooper's a very, very articulate man. Um, I don't often like to go at coaches on the podcast. Um, but I think last round I, I did call Jay Woodcroft a weasel. Cause that's just kind of a vibe <laughs> he gave off. He, he, he just like, he was trying to do that thing where he's like, I'm a veteran coach too. And I'm going to go out there and do what veteran coaches do and say things in the media. And I'm like, dude, you're like, what's that got to do with the series? Like you was just way off base. He was like the, the, someone trying to hang around with people that were a lot more experienced with him and trying to fit in and just doing a piss poor job at it. It's kind of the vibe he gave off. Uh, Craig Barube, I have my opinions on, on him and the way that he handles things. Uh, 99% of the reason why is because of his inability to uh, downplay the fact that Nazem Kadri experienced Islamophobic attacks. So that's a different story. Um, John Hines, can't really say much about him because I feel like him and his team got punched in the mouth 74 times in six days and then went home. But with John Cooper, we've been talking about it since media day. We've been talking about it since that loss in game one where he credited Jared Bednar and the avalanche. And everybody was tweeting me talking about how wonderful John Cooper is. Suddenly everybody's calling him a whiner. What is your opinion on that? Um, I mean, the thing that happened because it threw us all off, right? He walks in, drops these comments on us, and suddenly everybody in the press conference is looking at each other like, "What is he talking about? What what just, what just happened?" So now we're looking at our phones, we're watching the goal replay, we're trying to surmise what it could possibly be. And if it's a too many men call, it seems like it's an overreaction, in my opinion. It just seems like the way he was acting really felt like there was something way more egregious, something way more obvious, something that I can't believe this wasn't called. I mean, this was a routine occurrence, right? And not only that, Tampa Bay kind of tends to push the envelope on the way they do their changes anyway. They kind of run that same concept on their own all the time. So to kind of cause that big of a stirrup, if I mean, we still don't even know for sure. It's not confirmed that that's what it's about. It is confirmed that that is what it's about, and I'll get to that in a second. Okay. Yes, go ahead. Okay, well then... If that is exactly what it's about, then it, to me it feels like an overreaction. You really felt like there was something bigger going on than than what is actually. So at the hand. still the still images uh, don't say, don't give the whole story because the still images are are, you know, screenshotted and taken at certain aspects of the play. But the part that really the the the, the evidence that really shows it, there's a reporter named Kaylee Mizell, K A I L E Y M I Z E L L E. And her first name, last name is her at handle, at Kaylee Mizell. Uh, she works for Bally Sports in Florida. And it's a video that shows the Avalanche's bench. And it shows Nazem Kadri coming onto the ice. And after Nazem Kadri comes onto the ice, you can count to five. And Nathan McKinnon appears from center ice. So he was way, way still on the ice. He wasn't within five feet. And, you know, we've seen the NHL. We've seen refs still let that slide as well. But the part that really made it worse for for the Avalanche's case in terms of this really looking like a bad play is the fact that while McKinnon is still way, way back away from the bench, Nazem Kadri's already got the puck on his stick. So he jumped early. If Kadri didn't jump early, he wouldn't have gotten the puck in time from Lekkanen. And that play doesn't happen. Maybe Lekkanen goes in and tries a shot and Vassy saves it. I don't know. It's, it's hard to really say. Um, the fact of the matter is, it was a missed too many men on the ice call. What I think is the issue with what John Cooper did is kind of what you said. It was an overreaction. I don't think it was an overreaction because it was, you know, could go either way. No, I 100% think it was a too many men. It was overreaction in the sense where, like, your team was getting destroyed in overtime. The Avalanche were dominating every aspect of that period. And... Neither of those guys that were coming off for the Avalanche and then for the Lightning, they had two guys by the bench. But Nathan McKinnon had zero to do with the play. Nazem Kadri jumping a little bit early doesn't change the fact that he still jumped at a reasonable time and it was still part of the play at a reasonable hour. Nobody was able to cover him because your team was going for a line change. It just had zero to do with the play where like his comment about we should still be playing, I 
this isn't Brett Holford in the crease when that was a rule that you're not allowed to do. This was a play that it just seemed like an overreaction. But I also can't call him a whiner because he – dude, he's an emotional guy and – he did something that a lot of other coaches would come out. Someone like John Tortorella or Laviolette or any of these other guys would come out and just scream their asses off. He came in and like was very articulate in the way that he expressed his emotions that we have to remember. Like In the end, this is a coach that just came off the ice watching his team lose 3-1, to one, knowing that their hopes are pretty much all but dead. And... They're trying to win their third straight Stanley Cup, and to do that, they're going to need to be historic and being the first team to ever come back from a 3-1 to series deficit in the Stanley Cup final. He was pulled directly off the ice into the media room to say what he said to us. For everybody calling him a whiner, for everybody calling him a baby, you have to understand in that moment what his emotions feel like, and I guarantee you he's going to come out tomorrow and change his tune a little bit. He's still going to agree that it was a too many men, but he's going to be like, I kind of sounded like a baby yesterday. Well, and I think if you really take a step back and put things in perspective, which, like you just said, he's really good at doing, I think he'll also realize that, you know, we've gotten a lot of things to bounce our way already in this series. The fact that maybe one doesn't bounce our way. I mean, look at that first goal that that they scored tonight, right? Darcy Kemper's helmet pops off, and due to the rule in the rule book, the play isn't blown dead, and the goal gets counted even though... It was Sorelli, right? He he got two swipes at the puck, for God's sakes. I think that is a point where the puck sh- should be blown dead, blow the whistle, helmet's off, and it's a dangerous play at that point. Um, you saw game three, right? They had that extra little window of time to get the goal reviewed yeah. on the offside, yeah, Bo yeah. Byram. We've seen them get bounces their way, too. That's the nature of the game. Bounces yeah. happen. We've been talking about refs since the dawn of the game. Refs have an impact of the game. No calls, yes calls. I mean, it's just the way it's played. Look, the reality is that Tampa Bay Lightning needed to earn the living shit out of the one victory that they got in the series. Every uh, coin toss game, which is the two overtime ones, the Avalanche have been the better team. And that includes tonight. I genuinely believe the Avalanche were the better team through and through tonight. And overtime is what tilted the scale for me. Um, but uh, the the biggest thing here is that the Tampa Bay Lightning have a lot more to worry about than the way that that game ended because there is no clear sign that they're even going to win that game if that if that call is made. But the other thing to take into account, so there's two ways to look at this. Number one, it's not just that the goal shouldn't have been uh, counted in John Cooper's eyes. It's his team should be going on the power play. So could you imagine Kemper passes the puck to Lekkonen? And then Lekkonen skates up, passes it to Kadri, and then before Kadri even makes his move to take the shot, the refs blow the whistle, and they have their hands up, and we're all like, why are they blowing the whistle? And then the ref makes the motion of too many men on the ice. That's what Cooper is upset about. It's not just that the goal shouldn't have counted. It's that his team should have had a power play opportunity and a chance to take what the Avalanche were doing in overtime and turn around and score. But the other thing is there was so many missed calls late in the third period in overtime. The ref is not going to call anything short of like a 100% penalty, which this was, but it was a too many men with a guy that was a non-factor of the play. Right. And that that's another great point. That's it, the part that it was about halfway through the account. third where you saw, okay, it's clear the refs are putting the whistles away here for the rest of the night. Yeah, exactly. And, 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 and that was made loud and clear by the refs. And, and at that point, um, I think, uh, I forgot who it was. I think it was one of the Tampa Bay reporters, uh, or one of the national reporters tweeted, the next penalty we see is going to be in the second game of the preseason. Like, <laughs> there's not going to be another penalty because it looked like everybody was getting mauled down and and uh, there was no call. So it was a it was a really strange press conference there by John by John Cooper. Um, the reason why that I know that that's why, and uh, you'll know this is is look, I am a pro at sticking my nose and and myself into crowds where I probably don't belong, but I will always do that. That's how I got to where I am in this industry. But um, basically what I'm trying to get at is after the game, after the press conferences, I went and sat down. So there's two sides for, for our listeners. There's two different sections where the media can sit down to work. So I sat down in one section next to Ken Weeb, who you'll hear later on in the show, and was helping him with something. And then I got up to go find Peter Boss. So I came over to the section where you were sitting. 
and I was going to sit down beside you. I noticed Peter wasn't there, and I said, fuck it, I'm going to go back over there. The reason why I went back over there is because I sat next to Ken Weeb with Pierre Lebrun in front of me, Chris Johnston behind me, Mike Russo beside me. Pierre Lebrun was on the phone with the NHL. Chris Johnston was on the phone with the officials. Mike Russo, they're all working the phones to the point where in real time, I was able to hear that the NHL is aware of the offside issue. The NHL is aware of John Cooper. John Cooper has these thoughts. The NHL has this thoughts. The NHL is not going to release a statement. Oh, swerve. The NHL is going to release a statement and they're going to share what they think of it. So I got to witness live in action these insiders at work talking to the league, talking to the Tampa Bay management and basically putting it all together. And then what it led to was the NHL releasing a statement that Pierre Lebrun shared with all of us and said, you guys are welcome to use this in the story. And uh, basically what the NHL said was, and I'm trying to find it, is a too many men on the ice penalty is a judgment call that can be made by any of the four on-ice officials. So linesmen, that's one of the penalties that a linesman can make. The NHL said in a post-game statement, following the game, hockey operations met with the four officials, as is their normal protocol. In discussing the winning goal, each of the four officials advised that they did not see a too many men on the ice situation on the play. This call is not subject to video review either by hockey ops or the on-ice officials. Neither of the four officials saw it. This is not subject to review. End of story. That's it right there. Are we going to add video review for too many men? I sure as shit hope not, and I think the league's, feel, the league's feeling the same way because you don't want to open a Pandora's box of we're going to – could you imagine how many goals would get called off the board? Because now we're going to start reviewing too many men. And we're going to start just like we are sitting there pixelating every inch of the blue line. We're going to start to do that and be like, oh, McKinnon was 6.45 feet away from the bench, not 5 feet. They're not going to do that. The league doesn't want to go there. Neither team wants to go there. Guarantee you John Cooper doesn't even want to go there. So the fact of the matter is this is a game officiated by humans. The human element is often going to miss calls, just like they missed when Darren Helm got hit from behind along the boards, which they didn't miss that. I was just being tongue-in-cheek. They saw it and just didn't call it. Just like they miss a lot of things that happen every single game, neither of the four of them were looking at Nathan McKinnon. They were looking at what was happening in the play, and it was Arturi Lekin and giving it to Kadri, and it happens. Shit happens. Had nothing to do with the play. Has nothing to do with the fact that Tampa Bay had a bad line change. Had nothing to do with the fact that they couldn't stop a man with a broken thumb that can't shoot the puck had nothing to do with the fact that Darcy Kemper had the hockey IQ and the on-ice instinct to step out of his crease and shovel the puck to Lekkanen and nothing to do with the fact that Lekkanen fed it to Kadri for the goal. And that's kind of why I took my stance on, on John Cooper being a little bit overreactionary on it because it's not an egregious play. If the, if the refs don't even see it, then it's obviously not the, their focus, which tells me Nathan McKinnon is completely out of the play and doesn't have a factor in it. Sure, Nazem Kadri jumping the bench early and getting into the play early does affect things, but I think, you know, you got to have a little bit of gray room, a little bit of wiggle room there because it's just so outside of the play. It's so outside of affecting anything. Yeah, Nathan McKinnon touches the puck, absolutely blow it dead, get somebody in the penalty box, but he's so far from being involved in anything and he was smart enough to stay on side yeah which was which a credit we, to him. we we know uh for three years ago why nathan mckinnon uh, worked his ass off and even nathan mckinnon said post game he said uh i was just he he said something about like not jumping over the boards because i just wanted to make sure that i was on side while they were doing their thing because he he couldn't see his ass is toward the ice mm -hmm. so He's obviously thinking back to the 2019 play. The biggest issue, by the way, with this play is that Kadri jumped on for McKinnon. So it's not like McKinnon was offside, but Devon Taves was the guy with the puck. It was the direct replacement of him, which technically means it's a too many men on the ice penalty. Sure, sure. So, But again, I think, you know... You're but I agree. You're, you're starting to split dangerous hairs at that point. Exactly, 100%. That's exactly what I'm getting at. Was that call missed? Arif says yes. Was that a too many men on the ice call that should have been called? Arif says yes. And I promise you I'm being serious with this one. If the tables were turned, while everybody on Twitter who is calling John Cooper a baby and t saying that he's crying would have sat there and complained had the avalanche lost. And I'm not bashing fans and listeners. I'm saying that, you know, when you have a 
when you have a piece of the pie and you're a fan, you're supposed to be irrational towards your favorite team. I would still be on this podcast saying, who fucking cares? Darcy Kemper should have stopped it. The Avalanche shouldn't have made that line change. And that is not an excuse. The Avalanche deserve to lose. If the tables were turned, I would not be sitting here complaining about a missed call that went against the Avalanche. I would be saying that the missed call was irrelevant to the play. You shouldn't have even let it get to that point. And that's the part that John Cooper needs to understand. But the whole thing is, I agree with you. It was an overreaction. I don't think John Cooper's a baby. I don't think he's unclassy. I don't think that, like, all the shit that people are saying about him, like, just just relax. He Nothing he said there was... It wasn't he, Pete he, DeBoer. He did it in the classiest he way possible. He did it in, in the classiest John Cooper way. Just a great fucking dude to listen to. Yeah. And, I, I, you know, the NHL doesn't want to get into the business of taking away goals, right? So, you know. Not not more than they already are. And, exactly. And, and that's the reality. So this wasn't, if you remember, San Jose, St. Louis, after the, the Sharks beat the Avs. They went on to the third round in 2019. And in game one, they had a hand pass that went directly to the player that scored the game winner. I think it was Eric Carlson. Like, this wasn't that. It wasn't an egregious missed call to that extent. Right. Uh, you you almost think that the way John Cooper acted, it's almost like Nazem Kadri not only jumped on the ice early, but also had a knife in his hand while he did it. <laughs> um, I, I thought what Peter Boss said was great, and I think he even mentioned this, this at the clip at the end that we recorded previously to this, is... Uh, even when Nazem Kadri scoring the biggest goal of his life, there's still a little hint of controversy in everything he does. And it's just <laughs> it's funny, right? But I uh, I think this is a bit of controversy that he's going to smile and be like, yeah, I'll fucking bask in this one. Uh, let's take a quick second to talk about our friends at Total Beverage. Everybody knows Total Beverage in Westminster and Thornton, right? Sure, Total Beverage has an incredible selection of beer, wine, and spirits, but did you know they deliver? Did you know they have curbside pickup available? And did you know they do online wine education classes? If not, it's time to get to know Total Beverage again. Stop by on 104th in Thornton or on Sheridan in Westminster and see for yourself. Or you can always find weekly deals, events, and even drink recipes online at totalbeverage.com. Totalbev.com. Total Beverage, everything you need and more um we've talked about darcy kemper a couple times here Arif. let's get into his night obviously the other key piece to what the avalanche were able to do today um especially we brought up that first period that's where he really shined the brightest and where they needed him the most and he um carried the weight he was able to do it you know in stellar fashion and i don't think that's surprising that's what we all expected right you even heard gabe landiscog point this out i mean every every time we've seen him get pulled in the past he bounces back pretty huge, so uh, he was able to do that, made some spectacular saves, made as many saves in the first period as he did all of Game 2 when he had his shutout. So he, he had to earn this one tonight, and he did. Yep, 16 saves in the first period. He faced 39 shots, which is exactly the amount that he faced in Games 1 and 2 combined where he surrendered three goals. He surrendered two today. The biggest part about Darcy Kemper's game and, uh, you know, the first goal— uh, Helmet on, helmet off, that puck's beating him. But obviously the fact that the puck hit him in the helmet and his helmet came off is kind of what knocked him off his game. My biggest worry was that with that goal was I hope he doesn't have any concussion symptoms. And that's kind of what knocked him off uh, his trajectory a couple weeks ago when we yeah. had to see Fran yeah. Susan. So the biggest thing here is he surrendered the first goal. He was already tasked, and, and you wrote about this in your story, he, he was already tasked with bouncing back from, from a game three that was rough, and he comes out for game four and lets in a goal 30 seconds in. So now already needing to bounce back from game three, now he has to bounce back from a terrible start to game four, and he did both of those. So he had a strong ending to that first period, and the most important thing is in a period where the Avalanche couldn't get a goddamn shot on goal, he didn't surrender the second goal. And then the Avalanche get to the second period. I think I mentioned this earlier. They needed a power play, and they capitalized on the power play, which, by the way, the Avs are 6 for 13 on the power play this, this playoff series, and they're fourteen for or, and they're 13 for 14 on the PK. So 92% and just under 50%. So shout-out to them for dominating the special teams battle, and that's been the biggest difference here in the series. So he they come out in the second period. They score a goal, and then he lets in kind of a weak goal to Hedman, but also, like, 
where the fuck did that shot come from? I wasn't expecting him to shoot that. And I, you know, Kemper should have saved it. The reality is. But when he let in that second goal, he locked it down again and didn't let Tampa get a two-goal lead. A two-goal lead with Vasilevsky playing the way he is is not good for anyone. And it took a weird bounce for the Avalanche to tie it up. I mean, McKinnon's goal was a weird bounce too. It bounced off of his skate and went in on the power play goal. And then a Nico Sturm bouncing it off of Cogliano goal was what beat him again, setting up the overtime game. So Kemper was able to shut it down. And the most important thing, despite the Avalanche coming back, having like 20 of the of, of, of the last 27 shots at one point, scoring two goals to Tampa Bay's only headman goal, two to two, blah, blah, blah. The last 10 minutes of the third period, the Lightning outshot the Avalanche 11 to two. Somehow the Avalanche went to a 15 minute intermission, came out and dominated the overtime period like they have all season and all playoffs. But they needed Darcy Kemper so many times to not let them get the second goal, to not let them get the two goal lead. And then late in the third period, where it was two to two, they needed him to shut him down again, and he did. Just an incredible performance from him. Yeah, I mean, you know, I always say it takes six players to play goalie, but in this case, they needed the one guy to do it, and he did it. Yeah, the the six players weren't there. There there wasn't the full support. So a lot of times, I would say, hey, we got to credit the defense in front of them tonight too. But no, I don't think they deserve too much credit because. There was a while there that, where they were leaving him dry. They, he had to make some big saves. There were high-danger chances that Tampa Bay was creating that he had to come bail the team out of. So that's what we saw out of him tonight. And, yeah, I think he had every excuse to crumble early. He had every excuse to get inside his own head after a, a, a bad performance in Game 3 getting pulled. And then the early goal, I think that you know you could get down on yourself real quick, and he didn't. Um, he could have gotten down on himself on the headman goal because it was kind of a softy, and he didn't. He locked it down, and he was – uh, impressive. He's doing things that are out of character for him, right? I, I saw him make one save where he slid across the net and it was a rebound and he, and he mm-hmm. stayed upright. He stayed with yep. it where normally he'd fall on his belly and be flopping around and, and leave the, the top of the net wide open. He, he took followed the angle it across. away from Nick Paul. Nick Paul had nothing to shoot at. He exactly. took the angle completely away. Right. And, that, and that's something that I think uh, when he's not playing his best, you see him, you know, kind of miss there. So, um, no, huge credit to Darcy Kemper for overcoming a couple hurdles, not not just the one hurdle of getting pulled, but um, a couple more hurdles that were thrown his way in this game. Yeah, and uh, at the end of the game there, he also was, uh, he made NHL history with his play in, in overtime. So something that I've noticed from Darcy Kemper is he's not very good at leaving his crease. He never knows what's, when to do it. He's not very good at reading the play on when to do it. And he doesn't do well poke-checking the puck. I mean, Sorelli's goal in game, I think it was Sorelli, in, in game three, the no-shot shot that just went under his pad, he could have poke-checked that. And there was another goal earlier in the series, I can't remember which one now, where again I was like, why didn't Darcy poke-check that? He never comes out of his crease. He never poke-checks the puck. He never does anything like that. So Tampa Bay dumps the puck into the zone. Darcy's in his crease. Bo is skating up to get the puck. But Darcy comes and grabs the puck and sends it to Lekkinen at the blue line before Byram could get to it. Because if Byram gets to it, he's going to circle the net, wait for the avalanche to change, let's get the attack. He had the wherewithal and, and the high hockey IQ to read the play, to come out and get the puck before Byram. He didn't even have a chance to like wave Byram away. He just came and took the puck away from Byram, sent it up to Lekkinen. Lekkinen got it to Kadri, who jumped early and cheated. Ha 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 ha. <laughs> Lekkinen got it to Kadri, who was able to go in and take that shot and score the game winner. The history-making moment in all of that is Darcy Kemper is the first goalie in NHL history to record an assist on an overtime winner in the Stanley Cup Final. So shout-out to Darcy. He stopped the Lightning from scoring, and he helped the Avalanche and elevated them and elevated Nazem Kadri to setting up his glorious play at the end. I've definitely seen Darcy try that play a lot. He, he, he likes to try that to force the puck up. Um, but a lot of times what happens, and I've seen it happen a couple times, is he'll, he'll try to pass it up to Devon Taves, thinking Devon Taves is thinking the same thing, and Devon Taves brings it back and kind of takes the, the <laughs> careful play. So, um, yeah, I guess shout-out to Bo and Byram for letting Darcy Kemper do his thing there, right, and not being like, hey, hey, leave the puck, let me get it, let me get it, let me get it. So, um, yeah, great play by Darcy Kemper to see it. Obviously, it's it's often there. 
I mean, I'm surprised more goalies don't try to hit that play because on the opposite end of the ice, especially Tampa Bay had been hemmed in their own zone. They were tired. They were desperate for a change themselves. As we've seen in the screenshots, they had multiple guys on the ice themselves as well. Um, so, yeah, no, just a, a great awareness play out of Darcy Kemper that, um, you know, doesn't always work out for him, but it worked out at, at the most important time possible. It did, and and uh, again, those are the kind of moments that you need to uh, to win the Stanley Cup, and, and those are the kind of moments that will forever be remembered in history. And, and look, the Avalanche have not won. The job is not done yet. And uh, if we've seen anything from the Tampa Bay Lightning is that they can bounce back. But I will say Friday night is going to be so much fucking fun at Ball Arena. But uh, the Avalanche needed that from Darcy more than anything because more than a victory – they needed to go into Game 5 knowing which goalie they're going to play. And they said going into Game 4 that they were going to put their trust in Darcy like they have all season. Like I mentioned earlier in the week on our last podcast, they have never voluntarily gone to Frankie ahead of Kemper when both have been healthy outside of Game 4 in Edmonton, which was a very obvious one. They weren't going to do it now. They didn't do it now. It paid off once again. So Darcy Kemper stepped up in a big way. Shout out to him. Hell of a night for him. Hell of a performance following whatever the hell was going on in Game 3. And he was making some nice glove saves, too, that that in Game 3 he couldn't do on Stamkos and on other guys. He made those saves today. He needed to play strong. In Games 1 and 2, he didn't need to make the big save. He just needed to hold the fort down while the Avalanche dominated play. Tonight he needed to make the big save, and he made them a number of times. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Uh, he was aggressive too, which I think is tough to uh, to play when you're lacking confidence. So he had to find a way to forget about the game all in its entirety that he got pulled in, right? And he had to regenerate his confidence and make sure that um, he wasn't even thinking anything about what what happened in the past because he had to just move forward. And that's that's not easy to do. And you know, the mental side of the game is is. 50% of it, in all honesty, especially in the goalie position. And he overcame everything. And, yeah, I, I just I, I was really pleased with what I saw from him over the last couple of days. It's just too bad that in the uh, post-game presser, all the media was so flustered and rattled by what John Cooper had yeah. just dropped on us that we didn't really ask all the thorough questions of Nazem Kadri and Darcy Kemper that we should have. Nobody even asked Darcy Kemper about the first goal with the with the helmet popping off. Yeah. If, if you remember, the NHL just said, okay, I guess nobody has any more questions. You guys and can then, go. Yeah. <laughs> See you guys later. It was a late night, man. It's it's uh, Covering the Stanley Cup final is really surreal, and I'll talk more about this in the offseason when we have more time to talk about it. But seeing what these reporters that have been around for so many years, how they go about their business and how they go about their work and how something like what John Cooper did changes the narrative for everybody and everything uh, – it's just a fascinating experience, and we'll get into more of that, you know, in the off season when we have time to talk about these things. But um, for Darcy, just great game, great way for him to bounce back, and it gave the Avalanche the confidence to know that they can trust their goalie, and it gave the Avalanche the confidence to know who they're playing in Game Five. Now nobody's going to be talking about who the Avs are going to have in between the pipes like they were for the last two days. I was asked about Pavel Francouz starting Game Four more than any other question these last couple of days, and, and my answer was no every single time. Yeah, that's pretty pretty clear, I think, to any of us that are actually close to the team have listened to what's actually been going on and what's been said all year long, right? I mean, they drop subtle, subtle, I guess, tidbits as the, as the time passes that you can, you know, collectively make up your own mind that's pretty pretty close to the truth and pretty close to what they're thinking over there on uh, in, in the front office and the coach's mind as well, right? Um, yeah, I, anything else you want to get to before we get to uh, Peter, yourself, and Ken Weeb of Sportsnet.ca? Uh, a couple things. Number one, um, to go back to Nazem Kadri and, and how incredible that moment was, uh, I think it was really cool that the Avalanche scored three goals and Nathan McKinnon was a garbage goal that deflected. You know, the guy with the nice shot. And... Andrew Cogliano, who we've seen have a nice shot, also scored the garbage deflection goal. Lo and behold, the guy with the broken thumb, the guy with the surgically repaired thumb that we thought was only going to need to score the garbage goal because he can't shoot, was the only one of the three goals tonight. That was the beautiful shot 
placed perfectly like Ken Weeb is going to explain in the seven hole, the one spot that was open. Nazem Kadri did the one thing that we thought he wouldn't be able to do. And the other guys had to score the garbage goals that we thought Kadri would score. Just everything about it was poetic, and, and, and I just thought it was an exceptional, ex- exceptional and memorable moment that Kadri's going to remember forever. I don't know. I'd kind of argue that uh, his, his goal was a product of not being able to get everything on it, and it kind of fluttered its way, and that's what kind of threw Vasilevsky off, almost like a knuckleball. Um, I think all the goals that we saw tonight were very playoff-style goals, ones that needed a stroke of luck to go along with it. I think it went I think it was a bit of a knuckler but I think it went exactly where he intended it to go which was in in that one spot the seven hole right under the pit that was the only spot that Vasilevsky was giving him a look that's where he wanted the puck to go but I think it was a change up with how it got there because he just couldn't fire it properly I bet he's sitting in his hotel room right now because they're not flying till tomorrow with a very much throbbing thumb and it's hurting and he's in pain but he's probably sitting there with a fucking smirk on his face, ear to ear, just like I did that. Yeah. So, so yeah, that was really, really cool, and I, I, I think it was, uh, it was great to see Nazem Kadri get that moment, man. We, we've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks. I've been showing you the picture that I took that I tweeted out as soon as he got hit by Evan, Evander Kane, where he was face down on the ice behind the bench, and I've been saying the same thing for two weeks. Is this going to be the last moment Kadri ever has in an Avalanche uniform? And it looks like it's not. Yeah, for his sake. I mean, it's a much better ending, storybook ending almost, if you will. Yeah, absolutely. So um, great game from Nazem Kadri, great game from Darcy Kemper, and uh, great great game from the Avalanche. Like this is – I'm, I'm blown away, even though I expected a bounce back, I'm blown away by their ability to do this time and time again all season and you and I have been talking about it all year we are so fortunate to have been covering this team the entire season and for them to do it at Amelie Arena against the two-time defending cup champs in that fashion in a game where even in the first period to throw you under the bus you are saying this game is fucking lost if they're gonna if, if this shit continues for them to come out of that first period take over weather the storm late in the third and then completely dominate in overtime. It's 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 such a business like mentality that this team has this year. And now all they have to do is not go on a three game losing streak. And the Colorado Avalanche are Stanley Cup champions in twenty twenty two. With that, let's get to Peter Baugh and Ken Weeb, as well as Arif Dean, walking through the streets of Tampa Bay late at night. Somewhere in Amelie Arena, about to get to the streets, but yes, it's pretty much. Like I said, we have a segment here with Peter Baugh, the Athletic, who's been a regular on the podcast with JJ and I. We're doing a quick little hit here at the confines of Amelie Arena following the game. It's uh, about 2.30 in the morning Eastern time. But we're also joined by a special guest. It's Ken Weave of Sportsnet. Ken has been covering the Avalanche's playoffs since, I believe, the Edmonton series, I want to say, correct? Even remotely, I did the round two against the Blues, but nice. I was not on site, so happy to be joining you guys for the last two rounds. I feel like an honorary member yeah. of the Denver press corps. Ken, Ken has spent more time at Ball Arena and, and in Denver than pretty much half of us Denver you know, natives at this point, so it's nice to have uh, Ken here joining. But we wanted to add this segment because a lot has gone on since the game ended. Obviously, JJ and I are talking about the Avalanche's performance, Darcy Kemper, Nazem Kadri. But post-game, John Cooper came into the media room. He gave about a two-minute uh, preamble, let's call it, about his feelings and his thoughts about the series. And it was kind of strange the way he was going, the route he was going. And then he walked away and said, you'll see what I mean when you watch the replay. And I just kind of wanted to get everybody's thoughts on that. So we'll start with you, Peter. Yeah, well, I uh, it definitely is a, a bit of a, a controversial play, and I we are joking that it it makes sense that even in a Nazem Kadri in one of his <laughs> moments of greatness, he there's a little a taste of controversy. I haven't looked at all the angles, but uh, they're definitely. I mean, look, I think there are often changes that are too many men throughout the game, yeah. and I think both teams probably do it. That was that probably one of them. Yeah, there's a good chance, but. Um, I don't know. It's it's an interesting situation. I can see why Cooper was upset, and I also can see why the Avalanche don't really care if he's upset because yeah. the goal counted, and they, they're up 3-1 in the series. This is twofold, Eric. For me, John Cooper is sending a message to the league that he didn't like the play, that it was not called, but more importantly, 
it's a rallying cry to his team. Our team got shafted. Not only are we down three to one, we should still be playing. So this is more about how he's asking his team to respond. This is a not a thinly veiled message. It's an obvious message to his players that it's an uphill climb, but you guys can do it. You know, this is just an us against the world kind of thing from Cooper. Yes, he has a legitimate beef, but this is more about how he wants his championship team to respond to what happened to them. It almost felt like the way he was wording it kind of sounded like he was defeated, like the series was over. It was a very strange way to send a wake-up call, and I agree with you. That's the way he was going. Yeah, I mean, for me, John is just, he's a very emotional guy. He's very articulate and thoughtful, but you wear these kind of losses, and uh, I, I don't think for one second he feels they're defeated. He just feels that in the moment it was a gut punch for his group, and he wants them to respond, and I think he'll be uh, singing a different tune in the morning when he speaks to the media again. Which is how he ended his uh, availability, that he will be speaking to media again in the morning and probably go into more detail than he did tonight. I actually, I really like listening to John Cooper talk. He has so a very, wonderful. like, he has, like, a very calming, like, I'm like, I can see why guys, like, really respond to him, but... Very articulate, so it's a good oh, yeah. way to put it, like Ken said. I mean, he coached in St. Louis. St. Louis rubs off on him. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Peter. Um, but uh, other than that, just, guys, really quickly, we're going to clip this into our podcast, but... Uh, Overall thoughts on, on Nazem Kadri. We'll start with you, Peter, because I believe post-game you and I were talking about Nazem Kadri being able to play and, you know... Yeah, Eric told me I told you so in nicer yeah, words. Yeah, uh, in, in nicer words, but to, to put it lightly, we were talking and, you know, you, you had the opinion that Kadri might play seven, eight, or nine minutes, kind of play the Nicholas Abe Kubel role, but as a better player than that. So uh, just what did you think of his ability to do what he did? Yeah, I thought he started off a little poorly. I think thought there was some rust, but... Um... What a performance. I mean, he really picked it up. If you look at some of the underlying numbers, they were actually quite good when he was on the ice. Um, and he, he looked better as the game got on. I wonder how his, his thumb will feel at about 2 this morning. Might 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 wake up a little yeah. sore, but uh, I think he, he'd trade that soreness for that goal. He had a sore. smile ear to ear with yeah. that soreness. <laughs> yeah. And then, Ken, we'll close out with you working at Sportsnet. I'm sure you've written a story or two of Nazem Kadri in the past at his days with Toronto. Um was that the Nazem Kadri that you knew would show up in the Stanley Cup final? Absolutely. This is this for me was a matter of when, not if, he was coming back for this series. You knew how hard he was working. Even when he was just taking flip shots, you knew that this guy was working and building towards where he wanted to be. He said it himself. He's been waiting his whole life for this moment. He wasn't going to be, be deterred by a thumb injury. Uh, and there again, too, not many guys can make a perfect shot. It wasn't at full speed. It wasn't a change-up. He basically shot it off the end of his blade into the only place in the seven hole. I mean, it's a perfect shot under his arm, under the armpit, between the blocker against the best goalie in the world at a critical moment. This is a guy who has come through time and time again for the Avalanche, not only during the regular season, but in the playoffs. Uh, he's just been exceptional. Even just being on the ice and on the bench, he was going to provide an emotional lift. The fact that he delivers the biggest goal of his career in this moment should surprise no one. I mean, this is a guy... I talked to Pete DeBoer last round. This is a guy built for big moments, and he delivered the biggest one of his career to date. And Pete, Pete DeBoer, of course, coached him in Kitchener, right? Kitchener or London? I think Kitchener. Yes, sir. Kitchener. Junior. That's I, incredible. I, I also briefly, I think um, Darcy Kemper, what a performance tonight from him. Yeah. I, If we're being honest, um, I wasn't quite sure he had this level of a performance in him. I thought the Avalanche were going to have to, if they were going to beat Tampa, they'd have to dominate scoring chances, dominate high danger chances because Vasilevsky, there was going to be a gap there. But tonight, there wasn't much of a gap. Yes, there was one bad goal, but I thought he played outstanding. And he went toe-to-toe -to -toe with Vasilevsky, and he prevented them from drowning in the first period. Yes, the shot attempts were 23-22. The shots on goal were 17-4, to and the high dangers were quite uh, you know, substantially weighted in the favor of the Lightning. That game could have gone south in a hurry. He kept his team in it. And lo and behold, there's Nathan McKinnon snapping the drought. He's been great in the series, but hadn't been able to find the back of the net. I love the fact that he joked about it afterwards. Yeah, don't tell what him drought? it's a drought. Drought? What drought? <laughs> what drought? Yeah. But then, he said it's three games of drought now. You knew the, with the delivery, though, that, he was, that it was, he was being... tongue-in-cheek. Yeah. Yes, that was well, definitely... But it was a joke, but it but was it, also what he believed. But it's also Nathan McKinnon. But it was also something he took personally. And yeah. if it didn't mean that much for him to have scored... 
he wouldn't have said it in that regard. Yeah. Of course. And it's funny that the goal he did score on was just a lucky bounce off the skate. Because yeah. he's had so many chances where he's gone end-to-end -end and you felt like it. Th this was yeah. going to be the time. He should be the one scoring the shot that Nazem Kadri had today. Yeah. Not the guy <laughs> with the broken thumb. Exactly. Uh, but we'll close out with this. Ken, you've been uh, a wonderful part of our Avalanche family now for a few weeks and we're so happy to have you back in Denver for Game 5. Uh, really quick, just let our listeners know what your Twitter is and, and where they can follow your work. Yeah, at Weebs World is the Twitter handle, and you can find everything at sportsnet.ca. And i got to tell you guys, I've told you from the very beginning, Ball Arena is a top-five atmosphere in the NHL. It's been absolutely rocking in the playoffs. And I can't wait to see what that crowd is going to be like when the Stanley Cup is in the building with the Avalanche having an opportunity to win it for the first time since 2001. And I also love that Nathan McKinnon outwardly said, these guys probably think we're going to be tight. You haven't been there before, but guess what? We've been doing this all year. I've loved the quiet confidence the Avalanche have shown throughout this series. If you want to beat the champs, you can't be afraid to talk about it. I've loved their approach. They're very composed and calm, but they're also not afraid to exude a little bit of confidence. And to me, it starts at the top with Jared Bednar. Yeah, yeah it sounds like you've been covering the team for 82 games. <laughs> Love it. And uh, great words uh, and, and great, uh, let's say, uh, compliments to Ballerina and the crowd for, for a reporter from Winnipeg, I want to say. That's right, yeah. From man, Winnipeg. I, I've been to all, I've been to all, sorry, I haven't been to all 32 because I haven't been to Seattle. Seattle. Yeah. But this is awesome. I've been covered playoff series in a lot of rinks. It's absolutely on fire. I've been singing, no karaoke, but I've been humming and singing small things like about for the last Love month it. and a half and it's so catchy and I can't wait to see what it's going to be like. I, I was at Game 7 in 2011 in Vancouver. The vibe was obviously very different with the riot breaking out yeah, afterward. Yeah, but course. man, oh man, there's nothing like the Stanley Cup Final, the way that people get involved emotionally. And it's going to be just an emotional... It's going to be an absolutely fabulous evening at Ball Arena. Well, with that, thank you for joining me for this quick clip that we're going to clip to our podcast. And uh, maybe sometime in Denver, we'll get the real mics out. We'll get you on for a longer episode. Peter, thank you as well for joining. And as usual, we will get you on for a longer episode. And yes. uh, JJ and I will take it from here. And with that, we thank you for joining us here on the podcast. Uh, we put a lot of heart into these road games, so I hope you enjoyed what we've done here during our time in Tampa Bay. And uh, like, like you said, hopefully the job gets done on Friday. And Game 5 is all that's necessary. 4.11 a.m. JJ, we got to check out of this hotel room at 11 a.m. Um, let's get some sleep, but let's, let's get this podcast up for our listeners first. Right, because there's a lot of listeners at 4.11 a.m. that are just waiting two, to two, hear two our 11, voices. 2.11 Mountain Time. I'm sure someone's up like, where the fuck is this podcast going to drop? Um, but, yeah, I'm excited to get back to Denver. Um, I'm excited to hopefully not have to come back to Tampa Bay on Saturday. So uh, Ball Arena is going to be fun. And it's a Friday night. It's the end of the work week. It's going to be so fun. Stanley Cup's going to be in the house. And um, I got to say this again to every listener and every fan. Enjoy this ride. This has been an incredible season. And June 24th could be the day. But we'll find out when we get there. <laughs>